Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. Hey, welcome back, everyone. On episode 17, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jonathan Raymond. Jonathan is the CEO and founder of Refound.com and the author of a book called Good Authority. Uh, We talk about the importance of culture change and productivity and supporting your managers and leaders, and basically what happens when you focus on the development of people first. Enjoy the conversation. So um, let's, yeah, let's just jump right in. Why don't, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? So my name is Jonathan Raymond. I'm the CEO of a company called Refound, uh, and I'm the author of a book called Good Authority. And uh, I took it upon myself to build a business around uh, making difficult conversations simpler. Uh, It was the thing Mm -hmm. that I found as a CEO and and an operating leader in a business, uh, that there were so many structural pieces that we had in place. Uh, There were a lot of things we were doing right as an organization, but where we were falling down was at the level of those everyday conversations. So I... uh, started experimenting and building a new methodology and philosophy uh, and put that out into the world. And, and here we are today. That's awesome. Yeah. I love the, I love the concept of taking difficult conversations and making them um, a little more approachable or simple. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about, obviously I've had a chance to dig into some of some of the stuff that you have out on the web and um, dig into that, that philosophy a little bit. I know um, you've published a lot on the aspects of leadership and how you empower leaders, but then also how you empower those that are going to be coming leaders. Um, and even at, you know, here at my own, my own firm, our entire mission is building the next generation of leaders. So I would love to hear a little bit about your philosophy in that you, you obviously get to travel quite a bit and talk with organizations around how they're, how they're doing that, how they're taking on that challenge. Um, you see some of those challenges and in, in your philosophy on that aspect of building, you know, the next generation of leaders. Yeah, I would say it starts with a a bit of a mismatch in the way that we, not the people that we promote, but the way we promote them, in the sense that uh, most organizations that we work with, I would say it's a fairly common phenomenon where uh, we take people who are technically proficient, maybe they're good at their job, maybe they're great at their job, or at least the technical aspects of it, um, and we promote them into a managerial role. And it turns out that there's a whole different set of skills to leading a team of people Uh, leading a team of engineers, a team of salespeople, a team of financial professionals, what have you. uh, And managers find themselves uh, dramatically overscoped and and undertrained relative to what they're being asked of, uh, certainly historically, but even more to the point in the modern workforce, uh, the demands that are placed on the manager in terms of being, being a coach, offering feedback, helping people develop in their careers, that you could spend a career uh, developing those skills, and most managers are thrust into a role with you know little to no training, uh, few role models, and and no coherent philosophical framework for how to do that, even passably well, let alone really well. And so um, that's the thing that we see over and over again, you know, in our clients, whether that's Fortune 100, small companies, you know, different stages of growth, U.S. not U.S shows up differently in different places, but it's that common phenomenon where we, we have not yet truly invested in the reality that when you're no longer an individual contributor, your life has changed uh, in, in some very important structural ways. 
I love the, um, I think, uh, I don't want to simplify it to a tagline, but I, I will say the, in doing some of the research, I saw the more Yoda, less Superman. And so as someone who is a Star Wars aficionado, um, and, uh, you know, also, uh, also, uh, you know, DC, DC comics fan, but I, I love the concept of more Yoda, less Superman. So as people read that, uh, and people who work with you, um, get the opportunity to work with you, how do they interpret that? What is that? What does that look like or sound like or feel like to them when you, when you think about that philosophy of, um, maybe a little more wise, little wise green man and yes. less, um, sort of, you know, man of steel. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you like it. It's one of the best things we've come up with since we launched. Uh, and it was really like, you know, how do we capture this idea of, you know, what is what is it people that are what are they doing now that's problematic, and what's the thing that they should be doing that would make their lives better and their teams happier and organizations more effective. And uh, so, more Yoda, less Superman was our, uh, and that, obviously that's the central premise of the book. Good authority is what does that look like? But when we work with managers, they they really quickly resonate with that idea and uh, you know sometimes we come across people uh, um, who um, who don't know who Yoda is right so sometimes we have to do a little education around that most women right um, and so sometimes uh, we have to do a little education around that but people get it pretty quickly and and I think the pivot is really seeing I talk a lot about this in good authority is that our, our education system our social system the way we have thought about work up to this point, has really been incentivizing our our Superman and Superwoman personality, right? The person who gets it done no matter what, saves the day, jumps in, solves problems, fixes things. And we have attached our self-value to that Superman personality uh, to a great degree. And I think people really, uh, they really see that. And a lot of times, you know, when we show up in organizations, um, there's a, there's a, a high level of exhaustion and burnout and overwhelm. And so it's not a far journey for people to go like, Oh, that's why I'm miserable. That's why I'm burned out. That's why I feel like I'm doing the work of 20 people because I am right. Because I'm not a superhero. Um, even though I was conditioned to think that that's the right way that I should show up. I actually, there's a whole other gear that I need to, that I need to find in myself. And so people really resonate with the idea of it's not about saving the day and having the answers. It's about asking the right questions and about opening up the space for other people to solve those problems and find the right answers in their own way. Yeah, I, I really, I really appreciate that perspective because I, I can, I can relate, you know, as, as I think back to, um, someone who's both in the business world and in the military world, I think about when you, you're right, when you sort of put on that lapel that says you're a manager or you're an officer or whatnot, um, you are kind of expected to fly literally the next day. And so, you know, mm-hmm. that man of steel, Superman, superwoman analogy is, is, um, is a good one because you're literally expected to fly and save the day. Um, even if that isn't necessarily your strength, um, and right. you didn't necessarily perform in that way before, um, it reminds me a little bit of a, of a great book that I'm, I'm intentionally slow reading right now because I, I kind of don't want it to end. There's a book by Susan Cain called quiet, the power of introverts in a world that can't mm-hmm. stop talking. And I think, I think so much about the, the different ways in which business models, organizations are, um, are structured, um, 
you know, rather deliberately on maybe a little bit more of that Superman and Superwoman and little less on that Yoda um, model. And so I'm curious your, your thoughts on and your perspective on when you think about leadership and even the aspects of introverts and extroverts. And it's not that simple. We, you know, I've learned in, in even reading this book that it's, it's really about brain structure and how we respond to stimulus. Um, I mean, are you seeing organizations start to make a change in that way, the way they support their people, their future leaders and managers, or are we still kind of struggling with some old systems? Uh, I think both. So, well, you know, all we, we have the, um, the, I guess, fortunate position of being sort of read in with our clients at a really high level. So we're working with the C-suite. We're, we're, we're not a training program in the historical sense. And so we're working with our organizations as really in, in, in partnership. And so we have the opportunity really early on through the discovery process and learning about the organization to be able to identify and say, hey, look, here's something. This is the new way, right? This is at least this is our version of the new way. And, um, you know, if we've done our sales process right and our marketing process right, those are the people we're talking to. And those are the people who become clients, the organizations. And it's in those conversations with the C-suite where we say, look, here are some things you're doing that are supportive of the new way. And here are some things that you're doing. Here are some structures that you have in place. Here are some patterns that we see that are not supportive of the new way. And so a lot of the work that we do is to really um, help those leaders understand that they can make some changes. And, and mostly what we've found is people are more than willing to do that. They just need a little bit of help. They need an outside perspective they need someone to help them kind of reframe the things that are happening in the organization in a way that's tied to people-based initiatives in a way that makes sense to business line leaders. And I think that's something that the, that uh, our industry has not done a good job of historically is we've, we've sort of said, you know, well, this is about culture and it's about people and it's about, you know, creating human places to work. Okay, that's nice. Um, talk to me about the implications of that for the operations of the business. What is that going to do for our brand experience? What is that going to do for our ability to scale? Uh, what is that going to do for our ability to execute on projects, et cetera, make better decisions? And so the way that we design programs is aligned with that. And we challenge our clients. We say, look, this program is not going to work if you keep doing this, right? If you keep, uh, you know, telling people that they should be coaches, but you only ever reward people based on individual contribution, you're wasting your time. And you're wasting your money. Like, that's not going to work. And so we, we tend to be pretty edgy with our clients, uh, you know, because we want to see impact. We want to see change. And so, so that being said, it's a long-winded answer that I think there is an enormous willingness uh, in certainly in the organizations that we're working with. And, and, and you know, we don't have a thousand clients, right? We have a hundred clients. Uh, but the, there's a, there is a, we're in a sea change moment and people are understanding, hey, we've got to behave differently. We got to do some, we have to do different things. And, and I think what people need is they need to see what good looks like and they need to see what good looks like from someone they trust. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that sort of, um, strikes me is the, the amount of, um, you know, the amount of, uh, opportunity there is here to sort of see what good looks like and see what good looks like from someone you trust and still be in an environment of uncertainty and ambiguity and still be okay. Um, yeah. you know, your point around, your point around business operations is really, is really a great one because, um, you know, and in my experience, it's one thing to get a group of 
C-suite leaders together and have a visioning session and say, where are we going to be five years from now? Let's imagine, let's vision, let's North Star, let's get excited. Everybody walks out of that room really charged. Um, Then you take that vision back to maybe somebody in operations and they say, my role in this, like, how does this, how do I connect the dots to what I'm doing in my, in my works and in my spot on the assembly plan, in my contributions daily to this big vision. And if you can't draw those lines or connect those dots, in my experience, um, it's really hard for a workforce. Yeah, that's spot on. And that's, you know, that's part of our core curriculum is how do we, how do you train managers to do that? It's a very specific skill. How do you translate that high level vision that maybe conceptually everybody's on board with, but you know, I go to job, you know, I, I, I go to work for a different reason than the guy next to me and the woman and the woman next to him. And you've got to speak in a language that's personal and relevant to me. And, you know, just as an example, slightly tangential to what you just shared, you know, we were just working, did an offsite for 75 senior leaders in an organization that has tripled in size uh, in the last 18 months. You know, we're getting, this is, you know, it happens, right? It's a nice story, but it causes lots of problems. And, you know, we went through this process and, and having leaders, you know, have some open and honest conversations at the, at the senior level. And their fear was, you know, kind of going into this day-long uh, kind of offsite that we facilitated. Their fear was like, well, if we open this door, everyone's going to, you know, basically like they're going to think we're idiots. And I said, no, they're not going to think you're idiots. They're going to think you're transparent. They're going to think you're vulnerable. They're going to love every minute of it. And you have my money back guarantee that that's what's going to happen. And I, we had some fun with it. I, I know them and they, they trusted us and they said, okay, well, let's see what happens. And literally like two minutes into the day, one of the senior execs looks at me and says, gives me like the thumbs up, like, this is exactly what I was hoping for and, and forget about everything I was. And so it's just, they just needed that confidence boost to be able to open up the conversation. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, Hey, I want to be a part of what you're building. Don't exclude me. Like, don't, don't pretend like, don't think you have to have the answers or you have to have it all figured out. I will help you, but you just got to let your guard down a little bit with me. And that's difficult to do in an organization for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I'm, I love the fact that you put the word vulnerable out there, um, and and I agree. I mean, as as um, as you see, sort of rooms and dynamics and behavior shift. One of the things that that I can certainly say, and you know, in my experience over the years, one of the things I craved from leaders was a sense of vulnerability. You know, mm-hmm. I think when, and I think it's no different today in, in these fast moving environments where people are faced with change inside their organization and definitely outside their organization. Um, it is this aspect of uh, people want to understand and see their leader as human, um, mm-hmm. and that times means I don't expect you to have all the answers. Um, maybe I expect you to, to be able to ask, you know, difficult questions and be able to lean in and stay with me in the conversation and go deep and conversation to an edge, or maybe we're going to learn together. Um, but it is, but that is a very big ask of leaders to stand up in front of a room for one, um, admit, Hey, I don't have all the answers and I'm still here with you. And, uh, we're going to figure this out together. Um, mm-hmm. which may be a little turbulent. So I'm curious when you're, when you, obviously you got a thumbs up from, from that particular person, <laughs> because that's what they wanted. Are there instances and moments that you've seen where it hasn't gone that well? And, and it's been a little tenuous or a little uncomfortable. The, the place where it's challenging, challenging, and I think we've gotten better as an organization, is if the CEO isn't on board, at least with our work, if the CEO isn't on board or is dragging his or her heels in some way, 
it's it causes problems. And you know, the there that that takes different forms. Uh, but that's something that we have uh, we have come to understand is critical to the it doesn't mean you can't teach good concepts, it doesn't mean you can't add value to an organization. But if you really want to get to that future place to work, uh, that where you have the organization that has you know some of these dynamics that, that people are craving, the CEO's got to be on board. And it can't be like, oh yeah, I really like this. You should go and do that. Right? It has to be, uh, I really like this. I need to get better at this too. And, right. Right. Uh, and so, and and you know, we're patient people. Sometimes that happens at the beginning of an engagement. Uh, sometimes it happens later. But that's that's the the main piece that's problematic. Even though we try to take a more egalitarian, like, hey, this is about everybody being a cultural leader, there is still a critical role for the CEO to be able to embody it and speak about uh, what the organization wants in a way that's coherent and where their, you know, their personal narrative and the way they show up in the world matches the thing that's happening in the organization. Otherwise, people go, you know, they're just too busy. They're like, well, this is, this will fade. You're, you know, somebody read a book and they liked it, but I'm not going to really pay attention because, you know, it's going to go away. It's the flavor of the month. I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, I mean that is that is a challenge. I'd I'd love to to hear your thoughts on the aspect of you know even if you think about the employee experience versus being the consumer or the customer experience. I mean, I think in our day to day lives as a customer and a consumer, you know whether it's through an app or or through your even your behavioral preferences, right? You can you can have things tailored to come to you as a consumer the way you want when you want um, on demand you know, follow the pizza delivery all the way to your house, that kind of stuff, right? Where our expectations are changing along that, along those lines. I'm curious your thoughts on how do we bring that into the employee experience? Um, it's not just surveys. It's not just employee engagement um, things. Are you, are you working with any clients, seeing anybody, talking to anybody that, that has started to figure out that balance of, to your point before, I want things addressed to me the way I want them to hear them in my own tone, in my own um, style of leadership. I mean, it's hard to do inside organizations when we're growing as fast as we are, um, we're acquiring, we're uh, taking on different clients, and the only thing that we don't have enough of is time. Right. I, I think it's, it's, it's for sure the right question. I would say there are two parts to the answer, uh, one where I think we've done better and one where I think there's a lot more work to do. So I think where we've done where we've done really well is in tuning the content, the learning experience, the the overall um, sort of philosophical approach to that organization or to that area within the business. And the way we do that is by using specific examples, right? So when we're teaching our accountability dial performance management, you know, sort of conversation tool, we use examples from the culture. So we we're you know here's what Sam here's what happened with Sam yesterday at ten. And everyone in the room is like, oh yeah, that's exact that's exactly the conversation that I just had. How do, how do I handle that better than I did? And so what we we do a really good job of tuning that to the the organization so it feels real. So it's not uh, you know, out of the box, you know, it doesn't feel cold, bureaucratic, sort of like L and D content that has nothing to do with our business or my day-to-day. So that's the part that I think we do really well. The other part, uh, you know. It is is extremely challenging in terms of the the level of nuance and context and and specificity that you need to tailor that learning down to the individual 
is very difficult on its own. But then what's what's extraordinarily difficult, I think, and we're not talking enough about, is even if you could do that, the organization that I work for has a whole bunch of other dynamics and contexts and psychological factors that are uh, that are going to change the, the nature of learning. So I think, you know, it's an, it's an asymptote, you know, it's going to, uh, we're, we're never going to get to hundred percent, but we'll get closer and closer. And I think that's the, you know, I think you're seeing more solutions. We're designing more solutions that are more, more pull content, more, you know, I, here's the conversation that I'm about to go have. Can you help me with that? Um, and we're experimenting with some ideas uh, internally, but I, but I think, I, I mean, I know we haven't solved that problem. Uh, and there are, there are a lot of tech solutions out there that are, that are trying in different ways, you know, some good, some bad, you know, some in the middle. Yeah, there's, it's certainly a busy, um, busy playing field, I would say, because there's, there's parts and pieces that I think everybody's trying to solve for. And, and, and you know, the other thing um, that I imagine some people want to attack is, is how, do you, how do you take the things that are getting in the way and get them out of the way? Right. Your, your, your point was very good around the power dynamics, the way we've always done things, the process, um, you know, uh, adopting or adopting something that was done in the last era of our business. Um, I'd love to love to hear a little bit about, you know, your aspect of, as you think about like talent, there's a big talent piece to this as well, which I think if you want to hold on to talent, if you want to retain talent, um, these are some of the table stakes for people. Um, they come into an organization, they expect to have vulnerable conversations. They expect some authenticity. They, they, they demand empathy. Um, these are some things that I know that, that you and your organization have focused on and written about. Um, how do you think that's kind of changing the talent market? Um, you know, from organizations, as you said, like the, the growth that we're all, that everybody's doing, um, I don't know if these are, these are necessarily words of vulnerability, empathy that are kind of cooked into a, dare I say, a, you know, an acquisition cookbook. Um, mm-hmm. Where, where does that, where did, where are you seeing that present itself? A couple different ways. So I'll just, before I go there, I'll just add one to your list, which was a really good list. Uh, one of the things that that top talent hates is doing work for other people, right? Like I'm an A player. Yeah. I want to do, I want to do the work that I came here to do. I don't want to pick up the slack for seven people that you refuse to manage. Uh, if you, if that's the, if that's the way it is here, I'm out of here. I'm going to go somewhere else. And so to me, you know, this is something is a little different in North America than it is elsewhere. And particularly in the U S but we're at effectively 0% unemployment, right? For talented people, they have options. They have lots of options. Anyone who's ever been on LinkedIn lately knows there's an easy apply button and the, Genius engineers at LinkedIn have, have, have algorithms where they know when you're disengaged from your job and they're going to surface that button. And they're going to make it really easy. You don't have to go to networking parties. You don't have to send your resume to a thousand people. You can just click and you can get a, another, a new job you know, in 24 hours if you're good at what you do. So that raises the bar dramatically for what, what we have to give you as an organization in terms of that, that vulnerability, that candor, and, and, and most incisively to me, that development. So I've got to feel that from the moment I start with you to the moment I leave, I'm going to become a better version of myself. And I know that sounds, or that might yeah. sound to some people like, wait, you, that's unfair. You can't ask an organization to, to honor that agreement. That's, those are the new rules. You got to make me a better version of myself. I might stay here a year. I might stay here for 10, but if I don't feel like I'm learning and growing, I'm out of here because I got other options. 
And, and so that's the new, those are the, that's the new bargain from our perspective. That's what we hear again in, in every industry, you know, tech, financial services, retail, uh, you know, that's the world we live in and people have options and organizations that are smart are saying like, Hey, wait a second, we got to do way better, not just a little bit better. We got to do way better than we're doing in terms of engaging with our top talent. And it's not about a, you know, let's give them a mentor. Like it's not, a, it's like, it's, it's about a structural orientation that's different to the way we develop people. And, you know, obviously enough, we're, we have a very strong opinion about this in the book. It's about taking this idea of people first and going all the way with it and making sure that those people have a manager, have a leader, have colleagues who are invested in their growth and give them feedback, who help them, who, who praise the things that are great and give them constructive feedback in a humane way about the things they want to work on. And I see this over and over again. When I go into organizations, whether it's me or other members of our team, other facilitators, we ask people this question. We say, hey, do you feel like you're scale of one to five? Do you feel like you're learning and growing? If it's a four or a five, they're staying. Even if there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff happening in the organization, if they feel like they're learning and growing, they're going to stay. If it's neutral, if it's three or lower, they're already on LinkedIn looking for another job. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think that's, that's bold and that's true to say that organizations, you know, I, I really appreciate the fact that you say learning and growing is the new currency um, that keeps people um, really engaged. Um, and I also, uh, you know, the people first aspect is something that certainly resonates with me in my own organization. That's our, that's the epicenter of our values. Um, you know, we kind of approach every, every challenge that way. Um, and I do think, you know, the, the products, right. To be, like a LinkedIn is is not something to ignore. Um, the amount of engagement um, that people have, either on a on a platform like that or off a platform like that, can you can you put a tickler out there that catches their eye? I mean, all of that stuff is is uh, is is possible now. Um, and I agree with you that uh, you know people have options. They have a tremendous amount of options. So honing in on the, what makes someone feel um, invigorated in their learning and growing in their role and in their future roles um, is for, for me is becoming um, something that you have to have conversations about, not, not just be thinking about um, otherwise you're likely to lose talent or not even gain talent. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so we're coming down to just the last couple of minutes here. I want to, I want to, um, as we, as we close, I would love to um, allow folks to hear a little bit more about where they can, learn about you, your organization, go find your book, um, other things that you're reading, keeping top of mind. Um, you know, how does, how does, how, what does Jonathan read on airplanes when he's crisscrossing the country? <laughs> that kind of stuff. Well, I have a, a two and a half year old and we just flew across the country. And so mostly we watch animal films and anything that will keep her entertained. Uh, on okay. Um, but uh, the the easiest way to reach out to us is at refound.com. So that's like rebound, but with an F, R-E-F-O-U-N-D. Uh, we've got some free resources. Uh, you'll see it pretty obvious. You can sign up for our mailing list. And we, we send out a lot of, we try to share a lot of free resources and videos and tools and things like that uh, that, that align with our, with our approach. Uh, the book is called Good Authority. It's on Amazon. Uh, people really love uh, the for for audiobook people, uh, it's available in audiobook. People love that that I'm the narrator. Uh, I guess it's it's not that common where where folks like me read their own books. And um, I actually had to audition for it, and I got the part. So uh, you'll get to hear my voice if you like the sound of my voice. Uh, I'm on that book. 
the, the book is the best place to kind of learn about us and our approach and, and a nice lead in it's, you know, it's, it's the, it's the source of a lot of, um, you know, a lot of our client relationships is people who read the book and said, Hey, we would really like to make this real in our organization. Um, so those would be the two main um, avenues. And I think in terms of like the things that I'm watching and I'm listening, I think we're, I don't, I don't want to say this in a negative way because it's not how I intend it, but I think we've reached peak people tech. There's been like, there's so much noise and, um, and effort and, and money. And I have a lot of clients in Silicon Valley, but I, you know, I also see Silicon Valley for what it is in certain respects. And there's a lot of money chasing this space right now with tech solutions. And, and, and I don't think it's solvable with tech solutions. I think they can be helpful. I think they're part of a suite of solutions. But I think we're in a moment now, it's sort of like with driverless cars, right? Like everybody thought, uh, you know, driverless cars would be like, well, a lot of people thought it would come happen faster. And it turns out most of the technology is there, but the last part of it is really, really difficult. And you need humans for, for the thing called driving um, because there's some right. really difficult nuance and context. And I think the same goes true for leadership and management. There's a lot of things that bots and, you know, those kinds of things can do. Um, a lot of the lower level sort of simple, repeatable stuff, but leadership has nuance and context and these are human relationships. And so a lot of, I'm watching really the evolution of that conversation where there's like a reality setting in of like, oh, you know, the tech only does certain things. Um, and, you know, to your point around personalization and who I am and my style, um, we need more than that. We need better than that. And, and historically, you know, we've, we're dramatically over-invested on the sales and engineering parts of our business and dramatically underinvested on the learning and development and coaching and, and building that, that institutional muscle. So that's the, that's what I'm seeing. Oh, that's great. I would, I would echo everything you're saying. I mean, the power of nuance is what keeps, frankly, keeps people like me and you very gainfully employed. That's <laughs> so right. I'm not worried about a robot replacing me because, right. uh, a, to my knowledge, they haven't gotten a robot that has the level of, you know, that can match the level of empathy, the level of inquiry, of wonder, of, you know, all of that stuff that we bring to um, to understand the human condition. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that because it's very similar stuff that I'm sort of chasing in my in my thoughts and in my mm-hmm. thought leadership. And, and that, you know, we're, we're, at an, we're at a really interesting um, point, I think, in, in our own development and, you know, tech you know, technology breakthroughs and whatnot. But I think at some, at some point, um, it, you know, there's, there's going to have to be critical thinkers that can, you know, play in both worlds and bridge yeah. those gaps um, for solutions. So I appreciate you, you sharing that insight. Thank you, Jonathan, for the time. This, uh, as I expected, the conversation went by very quickly. Um, I, uh, I look forward to following more and, and directing more people to, uh, to your company and to your thought leadership. So thanks for the time today. You bet. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did with Jonathan. If you found this episode interesting, feel free to share with colleagues. And also, I'd love your feedback on the podcast. Thanks.